What up, everybody? It's Cuff of the Vision Lab Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Farmers Insurance, the Robert Garcia Agency. If you're looking for the best insurance and customer service, make sure you pick up the phone and dial 972-645-1844. Whether it's home, life, or business insurance, Robert and his staff are the best at protecting you and your family. Once again, that's Farmers Insurance, the Robert Garcia Agency. Agency. The phone number, 972-645-1844. And the website is farmersagent.com forward slash R Garcia. And don't forget to mention the Vision Lab podcast. Welcome back to the Vision Lab podcast in partnership with Nexum Creative. I'm your host, Ryan Cuffey, alongside with my co-host, Mr. Ryan Mosley. Yo, in today's episode, this is uh, obviously with the pandemic that's going on with COVID-19 and uh, the coronavirus, it would be we would be remiss if we didn't mention it, right, Mo? Had to do something. Yeah. Got to. So uh, on today's episode, um, it's going to be a special edition, special guest that we have here in the building. I'm very grateful for um, him taking some time out of his schedule to to jump on with us and, and join us here in the lab. Yo, Mo, who do we have on the show today? Cuff, today's guest is a native of Jackson, Mississippi. He is a graduate of Jackson State University. He has a doctorate in medicine from the University of Kansas and a Ph.D. in physics from the University of Alabama, Birmingham. He is now the global medical director for a large pharmaceutical company. Please welcome Doc to the Vision Lab podcast. What up, Doc? What's going on, fellas? How How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We appreciate you sitting down with us, sir. Absolutely. I appreciate the invitation, and I certainly uh, want to do what I can to help uh, talk about this um, pandemic that's going on right now. And it is a pandemic. Yeah. So we're not, like we said in the, in the introduction, we're not going to disclose your name, but you got a, uh, a very large breadth of knowledge that you can speak and then shed light onto the subject. So, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. A lot of people are panicking. A lot of people don't know what to do. Um, you know, we don't know how we can, if we come in t- contact with COVID-19, what that means. So we wanted to have you on the show. Um, Mo and I were doing an interview a couple of nights ago here at the location. Absolutely. Lone Star, uh, Lone Star State Cigars, I believe, here in um, here in Plano. Shout out to Buddha and, and Mickey for allowing us to come in here and work. Absolutely. And at the conclusion of that interview, we ran into Doc and uh, one of his friends, Padre, and, and said, look, y'all need to get him on the show. We started chopping it up for a little bit and, and learned about who you were and, and you know the involvement that you have. Um, so it really made a lot of sense. And so let's just jump right into it. Um, awesome. Thank you. So from a from a scientific perspective, what is COVID-19? So um, COVID-19 is an acronym. The acronym is actually for Coronavirus Disease 2019. It uh, was originally diagnosed and found in uh, the Wuhan province in Hubei, or Wuhan, the city in Hubei province in China. And that's where the initial cases were uh, initially diagnosed. After that, those uh, people were not allowed to uh, travel. But before the official diagnosis came down from communist China, uh, people who were foreigners and other Chinese nationals were allowed to leave the country. Many of them went to Europe. Some of them came to the U.S. And so those those people were carriers of the disease. And that's why we now have 
about 132,000 cases that have been diagnosed worldwide in 130 countries. Here in the U.S., we have northwards of 2,200 cases that have been diagnosed. Um, and we do know this, number one, 80% of the people who get this virus will be asymptomatic. They will not have any symptoms. Or if they do have, they will be mild symptoms and they will fully recover, but they are still going to be carriers. 20% are going to be people who really get sick and they will require hospitalization. And the hospitalization that they will require would be intensive care unit beds. So of that 20%, um, what does that 20% constitute? So if you look at the data that came out of China and you look at the data that just was uh, released by the French, because they did a, a large study of this too, the average age of the person who has uh, contracted the disease and died was 81 years old. 81 years old. So that's your mom, your grandparents, your great aunts, your uncles. So also many of the people who become the sickest, the most ill are the patients who have compromised immune systems. They have heart disease, they have lung disease, and they were very young. So the elderly, the sick, and very small children are the ones who are most at risk for this. At what age we talked, you just said small children mm -hmm. and I don't want to um, scare, make, scare anybody, but what, what is a more safe age? Uh, you know, you have your infants, you've got one year olds, like at what age do you, can you kind of take a little bit of a breath? So when I say the people who are more at risk for contracting the disease are those groups that I just mentioned, the, uh, the younger group, they don't typically die from the disease they just become carriers. So you have a child. Yep. Your child is under one. That child can contract a disease, but for whatever reason, and this is something that the CDC and the National Institutes of uh, Allergy and Infectious Disease are looking at, they don't know why this particular virus, while it infects everybody, it only kills a selective few. And so even if you have a kid that is four, five, six, ten years old, they may contract a disease, but that doesn't mean they're going to die from it. It just means that they're going to become a carrier. And so that's part of the reason why you see all these mass school closings, because a kid can go to school, pick up the disease from their peer. They may not have any symptoms at all, but they come home and maybe, you know, like some of us, we have multi-generational families living in a house. Sure. And so you got grandma, parents, and the kid. The kid can come in, infect grandma. Grandma's going to get sick. And she may potentially have some very serious uh, consequences because of that. But the child is not going to be uh, the person that we should be looking at. The reason that, like, when you start talking about little children, like, really young, the one thing that the elderly and very young, and I don't say young, when I say very young, I mean infants, you know, zero, zero to two years old. Right. So I've got a six month old. So those children and those elderly people have one thing in common. Their immune system doesn't work like everybody else's. Number one, the children don't have the immune system. They Not fully developed yet. The immune, yes. They haven't developed the, uh, their immune system hasn't fully developed. They don't have the resistance that older kids have. And the same thing is true with the elderly. Their immune system 
has now basically burned itself out. It's run its course and therefore it becomes a problem. So is self-quarantining the remedy at this point? Well, right now, that is a, that's one way, um, social distancing. So making sure uh, that you maintain, you know, that three to six foot distance from other folks that you don't know, or even people that you do know, uh, that's another way to do it. But self-quarantining only works if you know that you've been exposed or you have symptoms. But if you don't know, what do you do? That's where the social distancing comes in. That's where you, you know, you practice the hand washing. Wash your hands in soapy water, warm soapy water for at least 20 seconds. Every time that you go into the bathroom or you shake hands with someone else, wash your hands. Don't touch your eyes. Don't touch your nose. Uh, do not um engage in unnecessary contact with other individuals you can also use you know those um, um uh decontaminating uh substances such as you know the um, hand sanitizer san hand sanitizer and stuff like that i have a question about the virus itself because obviously you know we're not medical professionals and and as this is boomed in the last few days everyone has questions about it is it man-made or is this something that comes from a particular way yeah a particular animal is it because you know food has not been kept properly like like what what's its origin i actually heard that it it was from china and that and this is obviously rumor mill okay mm -hmm. um and i thought it was a little comical but i heard that there's a dish in china whereby they use bats now we know bats are disgusting animals and creatures. Um, they defecate and they stay in those caves and the, the aroma and the, uh, I guess ammonia that builds up all the mm -hmm. toxins from that. And then they would take those bats and then put it in a soup dish no. and then serve it. So, pigs. so let, let's think about this. Um, if this was something that would be caused by the ingestion of either bats or pigs or cows, we have acids in our stomach, right? Mm -hmm. And when you ingest anything, the hydrochloric acid that's in our stomach would probably denature uh, the DNA or RNA viruses. So we have to kind of think about that from a more realistic standpoint. This is something, if it were a bacteria, we would call it a zoonotic. And what that means is it actually probably originated in the uh, animal kingdom and then had a mutation that allowed it to jump from an animal into humans that it would normally um, infect animals, but it acquired some sort of mutation that allowed it then to jump from whatever animal host that it was in into humans. Now, yes, it did start in the Hubei province in China. It wasn't because they were eating bat soup because, you know, that's one of those conspiracy theories that are out there. You probably have seen that on Fox News. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, here's what we know. Coronaviruses have been around for a long time. You guys have Lysol at home? Mm-hmm. When you go home today, take, I a already look, know. take a look at the can. Yep. You turn it around, you read, and in Lysol, it will tell you this particular product will kill all 99% of all viruses, right? 
and it lists some of the most common viruses known to mankind. One of them that's on the back of that can is a coronavirus. So this coronavirus, while it is new, uh, it is not unheard of. We've seen coronaviruses before. As a matter of fact, in 2002, you guys may have remembered the uh, SARS scare. Absolutely. absolutely. That's a coronavirus. How many different coronaviruses are there? I'm curious now. I I don't know what the actual concrete number is. There's a lot, though. There's a bunch of them. Okay. Uh, In 2012, there was another scare that came out, and it happened in the Middle East. Uh, uh, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, MERS. Mm-hmm. You remember that in 2012? That. Yeah. that is also a coronavirus. So what so, makes this strand so so much different, though? Because clearly this is a more powerful strand well, of... See, of, we have to stop thinking about it as it being more powerful because both SARS and MERS were actually more lethal than this one. Okay. The difference is whatever the mutation is that caused this, allows it to actually infect way more people than either SARS or MERS. So it's more mobile. Mm -hmm. And there was a study that just came out um, where some of the scientists from a big, large academic medical center in collaboration with uh, Chinese uh, doctors, they looked at 4,000 CT images of the lungs in patients who had developed this COVID-19 disease, right? What they found was this particular virus, for whatever reason, loves to live on the periphery of the lungs, on the periphery. Most um, viruses, when they are infecting, they tend to like to live in what they call the hyalur region, the, the central areas of the lung, because that's where all the blood comes and that's where all the nutrients are, and so that's where they thrive. This particular virus actually thrives on the outside. That was actually published in a peer-reviewed journal. And they were able to say, using CT, that this virus looks totally different. This this flu that is caused by this virus looks totally different radiographically than any other flu, period. So essentially, while we're all, you know, in panic mode, if you will, we have a virus that has developed a mutation that has allowed it to go from animals to humans. It lives, for lack of a better word, in humans, like you said, in the periphery of the lung. So, therefore, it is uh, attacking us where we're not looking. Mm-hmm. And it's intelligent, if you will. And it's caught us clearly with our pants down here in America because we weren't prepared or those who should have been prepared didn't heed warnings, if so you So, think will. about this. Um the first cases in the Hubei province were actually reported back last year in October. Mm. It became a big deal. The The local authorities tried to suppress it, but there was this one really brave Chinese doctor mm-hmm. who literally got online and started talking with folks from the WHO, the Chinese government the central Chinese government from Beijing stepped in, came in, relieved all those local individuals, and then they quarantined that doctor, who, by the way, ended up dying. I was going to say, is he still alive? I heard this story. He he died from this disease, but he died trying to get the word out about it. The word started coming out in November. In December, our government knew about this. In December, they were notified 
by the WHO and by Americans who work for the WHO. The reason that we know that this is the case is the WHO started making testing kits available to every country in the world who would take it in December, which means they had to know about it prior to that because sure. you just don't, you don't find out today and then tomorrow here's a test kit. No, they knew this before. They had enough time to develop these molecular genetic testing kits. They sent them out to every country in the world who would use them. And guess what? Every other country in the world are using the WHO testing kits except for the U.S. Hmm. The reason that we here in the U.S. are not, well, <laughs> it, 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 there are probably several different reasons. Um, some of them may be political. You know, our president, even on television, uh, has recently said that he didn't want the people on the cruise ship that was standing outside, that was that was waiting outside of San Francisco. He didn't want those people to get off the ship because he didn't want the numbers in the U.S. to go up, which, you know, on its face says that he's more concerned about the numbers than anything else. And in a backhanded way, he's correct because you don't want to import more people who are carriers because that just introduces more uh, disease into the space. But the vast majority of the cases in the U.S., so right now we have 2,200, roughly a little bit more 2,200 cases of people who are definitely diagnosed here in the U.S., about 60 deaths, right? But that's only of the people that have been tested. Yeah. So that we, number is so skewed. So, so we don't know who's a carrier and who's not. We don't have testing kits that are available. So... In December, the WHO introduces this test. The FDA says, nope, you can't use it here. we got to develop our own thing. So the CDC gets on, and they start trying to develop a test. They start from December through January. They manufacture two or three different test kits. What happens is they figure out in late January that all those, those test kits that they manufactured were defective. So they had to start from scratch. Wow. And oh. so that's why. How does that happen? Well, well it's a... It's a it's a perfect storm of incompetence and um, anti-empathic behavior and uh, people making political decisions. We're so far behind the eight ball art right now, aren't we? In South Korea, they're testing 10,000 people a day. We have only technically, I, I just watched Tony. So Tony Fauci is the head, the chief of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infection, uh, Allergies and Infectious Disease. I just watched um, him do an interview day or so ago. And he mentioned the fact that I think they, in the entire United States, we have done 18,000 tests. Wow. The South Koreans are doing 10,000 a day. A day. That's ridiculous. So what, you know, so how do you, what do you attribute this to? How do you, so like I said, it's incompetence and it's ignorance and it's political machinations versus what's doing what's best for, for the actual people. people. So as a, as a MD, and you're you're sitting there looking at this, and as a lover of people, how do you feel about this? Well, I mean, I'm how how incensed are you at this moment? I'm devastated by the fact that the United States is the most innovative country in the world when it comes to biopharmaceuticals. We have we have almost every vaccine that has been used to cure disease in the last 100 years has come from scientists here in the U.S. 
And yet you tell us that we cannot come up with uh, a way to diagnose this. We have centers like Harvard and Stanford and the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Those are all major research institutions that literally could tomorrow do this. And the FDA and the CDC has told those institutions up until yesterday, no, you can't develop your own test. We're going to develop a test and you have to use our test. And so you can't make your own test available. So we have here in Texas, we're in Texas. We have the University of Texas uh, Southwestern. We have MD Anderson. We have a Dell Medical School in Austin. We have medical schools and medical centers. There are more medical schools and medical centers in Texas than any other state. And yet they're telling Texans, you cannot develop your own test to look for this thing. So what you're really saying is, is that we actually do have the resources, manpower, and everything needed to combat this and to to, to nip it in the bud as, it's a as soon as possible. Issue. I was going to say, but for whatever political reasons and all that stuff, we're all just kind of being told to to sit on our hands, essentially. Yeah. Um, you talked about the test, right? And I and you, then you mentioned the word vaccine, right? So now at this point, we have a pandemic. People are infected, and I think, and again, I'm not a medical professional, but I think we're still like another two, three weeks away from really finding out how many people actually have this. Given we're, still that on the, we're still on the front end of, of the curve. curve. Yeah, I thought, exactly. We're on the front end of this curve, so, and it's going to get much worse before it gets better. Exactly. So two questions, When I'll start here. One, um, from your medical opinion, how long are we going to be on the wrong end of this curve? We're going to be on the wrong end of this curve until and unless we develop a systematic way to test every American who thinks that they've been exposed. Okay. Because here's the deal. The reason that people are panicking is because we don't know. People don't know. And so then that's when people panic. It's the fear of the unknown. Yeah. So the unknown is the most fearful thing for most of us. And I will say, like uh, Winston Churchill said, you know, the only thing to fear is fear itself. Right. So let's stop. Number one, pump the brakes. Stop going to Walmart and buying up all the toilet paper. Please. <laughs> stop going to Walmart and buying up all the hand sanitizer. Yes, those are good things. It's good to stock up on those things. You should have those. You should have tissues and everything else. When you, if you feel like you are developing cold or flu-like symptoms, step away from your family. Tell them, hey, listen, I don't know what this is, but let me make sure when I cough, I cough into my elbow. And then I go inside and I, I wipe my nose with a tissue. I wash my hands. You, If you have elderly um, family members who live with you or you are in contact with people who are elderly, don't get close to them because you're going to infect, infect them and they are going to develop even more severe uh, respiratory syndromes. Here's the issue. Once we get the testing done, then what you will see is, like I said, 80% of the people who get this particular virus, who become infected with this virus, will not have any symptoms or will have mild symptoms and they're not going to be affected. They still will be able to live and work or whatever. If you uh, are that 20% who have symptoms that are moderate or severe, obviously you're going to require some hospitalization. 2% of patients in this case in this particular virus, 2% of patients who get infected with this virus will die because of the virus, 2%. And, you know, while people look at those numbers and they say, well, it doesn't sound like much, think about this. Um, 
when we think about viruses, uh, the flu, and they say, well, the flu, the, the regular flu kills more people every year than this coronavirus. And why is this a big deal? Well, the lethality rate, that's the, the number of patients who die from the infection of the regular flu is 0.1%, one-tenth of 1% of patients, all patients who get infected with the flu, one-tenth of 1% of those patients will die. In this case, it's anywhere from 2 to 3.4%. So that makes this 200 to 340 times more lethal than the regular flu. It's a volume killer. So at the end of the day, what we have to do is stop panicking and think about this. The more patients that we can get tested, the better we are able to handle this pandemic here in our country. They just the other day announced the travel ban. Cool. That's fine. Because we don't want to introduce any more new cases. I get that. But we now have to move uh, to the phase up because we, we can't contain it anymore. It's already, yeah, it's, it's already it's, here. It's, all, it's called a pandemic because it's no longer able to be contained. So now we have to be able to monitor and figure out what's happening. And if it, I'm from Mississippi and there's an old saying in Mississippi, you can't miss what you can't measure. Hmm. If you're not measuring it, how do you know what you're targeting? You know what I'm saying? That that's a that's a really simple thing. So we have to figure out a way to get this testing stuff done. You know, you hear the politicians talk about, or oh, anybody who wants a test, they can get the test. That's not true. Anthony Fauci, Tony Fauci, the head of the he's the world's foremost expert in infectious disease, and he happens to work at the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease. This gentleman on TV literally said to Congress two days ago, this portion of what's happening is a failure on our part in the government. Hmm. I want to give the viewers that are uh, tuning in live uh, right now on our IG Live I want to open the doors up for you guys to ask any questions. So I got one. If, if you got questions, uh, go ahead and chime in. What you got? Uh, this comes. This comes from Fueled by Doubt. Uh, first of all, thank you for tuning in. Tuning in, uh, Fueled by Doubt. Uh, his question, and he might have missed the uh, the earlier part of when we actually went live. So forgive him, Doc, because I think he missed it. Uh, but his question is, um, how do you think it got started? And since we can't contain it, what is the testing going to do? So. What the testing does is it allows us to know what the extent of the exposure to the to, to this particular agent is. So that allows us to determine who is infected. Once we know who is infected, then we can do all sorts of other um, epidemiologic research to look at whoever um, they've been in contact with. So we can then start to track down this thing. Um as I said to you before, this is not the first coronavirus that we will have to deal with. And this is not the first time that we have dealt with coronaviruses. It's been around for a long time. So there are some symptomatic treatments that patients can get for this. Uh, how do I believe it started? Now, there's a whole bunch of conspiracy theories out there about this being a man-made thing that went haywire or wrong. You know, um, here's what I will say about that. I can't and I will not 
confirm or deny anything that I'm not part of. I was say, we don't, and do we, do we really even know? No, but we do know that this is a coronavirus that has a very specific mutation that allowed it to jump into humans and mutations happen and they occur in nature all the time. I'm a cancer researcher and that's the reason that the cancers are able to do what they do because cancers mutate. There isn't some super duper secret board somewhere that says, this person's going to have cancer and that one's not. We all at some point have cancer in our bodies. It's the fact that our bodies and our immune systems are able to kill those cells before they are able to replicate. The same thing is true for this particular virus. So, so it's essentially the virus evolving. Yes, it, it did evolve. Uh, it did mutate. So evol- evolution means it's it's changing because of its environment. A mutation is something that basically is a sporadic thing. A sporadic, it's something that happens, you know, and, and we don't know why mutations happen, but they do. And so, no, I I won't give any credence to a lot of these conspiracy theories. What I will say, though, is it doesn't matter how it got started. What matters is how we ended. Gotcha. We got another question coming in, but we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Fuel by doubt, I got you covered on your next question. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back here on the Vision Lab podcast. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to the, uh, the I guess you can call it the first ever live broadcast, if you will, the yeah, Vision Lab podcast. Yeah. Um, pay some bills, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, to pay some bills. Uh, before we get into the, the next part of the, the, the interview about the coronavirus here with, with the doc, uh, we want to say thank you to our sponsors, uh, Edwina and the family over at Blowing Smoke Cigar Lounge in Duncanville, Texas. That address is 215 West Kent Wisdom Road. For any of you uh, who are on the southern part of DFW, Make sure you get to Blow and Smoke Cigar Lounge. Edwina and the family make, or will make sure you're taken care of. Um, also, uh, the good guys at Definition Cigars, uh, whether it's the prolific, the the conception, yeah, or the the brand new one that we got the taste test a couple weeks ago, the Equalizer, I believe, is the name for it. Oh, yeah, really? you didn't catch that this no. morning. I believe it's called the Equalizer. Shout out to DC. Yeah, shout out to, to all the guys at DC. Um, we we really appreciate all the sponsors. Uh, thank you guys for 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 helping us out and. Uh, we look forward to the future. Um, we were talking about vaccines and testing kits and all that. My question now is, because like you said, we're in, a, we're in the pandemic phase, so it's here. Uh, so now it's, okay, what's our reaction to it? From a vaccine standpoint, and, and fuel by fuel by that, I'm going to get to your question. But from a vaccine standpoint, you working in the medical profession, what goes into actually making the vaccine? Because I'm sure at some point the order has been given, okay, let's make a vaccine to combat this. So yes, you have to be able to test for disease for the pathogen, right? Okay. Once you figure out what the pathogen is, um, and this kind of relates to something I was telling you guys earlier. So some of the younger children will be infected, but they won't have any symptoms, right? But they become reservoirs or carriers for this particular disease. Well, if we are able to figure out what about their immune system or what about this particular pathogen that makes it not able to hurt them but it hurts the elderly, the infirm, the uh, people who have compromised immune systems. That is a way for us to start to develop uh, uh, targeted therapies or vaccines for them. It typically takes uh, anywhere from 12 to 18 months to get a vaccine. Can we get a rush order on this now? Oh, that, that's no, because, you know, it takes time to, you know, because you got to grow the, you have to grow the virus in a laboratory setting. Then you have to come up with a way to, treat it and test it and then you have to test to see if the vaccine will actually work so there is no fast tracking you just got to go through the process there are certain things that there are certain ways that you can actually reduce the timeline but it's still going to be at least a year away you're not going to see a vaccine 
next month or two months or six months from now. So it's you're actually dispelling a, a rumor that I've heard is that, you know, the U.S. government already has access to a vaccine, but the CDC isn't allowed, doesn't have the government funding to, to test that vaccine. Um, and then the other part of that is that because we, we have to run clinical trials on those vaccines mm-hmm. to make sure that they work, is that, I mean, what I'm hearing from you now is that that's not actually the case. We so, are so what 12 happens? To 18 months away. Yeah. So it's going to be about at least 12 months, and that comes uh, from the mouth of Tony Fauci, who is the head of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease, and the folks at the CDC. And the reason that it takes that long is because you want to get it right. You don't want to introduce a vaccine that maybe partially works. Is only 50 percent effective. You know what I'm saying? So you want to make sure that you get it right. Number one. Number two, uh, the Trump administration has in every year, every budget that they have submitted, they have tried to cut the budget for the CDC every year. They've, this is their third year, almost fourth year now, where they've introduced a budget where they try to cut the funding for the CDC, the National Institutes of Health. Uh, National Institutes of Health. They've also cut funding for the world uh, that we support with the World Health, Health Organization. And they did something in 2018 that was unprecedented, which is they there was a global pandemic health um, group that worked as part of the National Security Council. And they literally disbanded that group. And that group's job was to look for things like this. That group was actually started under the Barack Obama administration, Barack Obama and Joe Biden administration, when they were. Um, basically challenged with SARS, SARS and MERS and, MERS and H1N1. H1N1 and Ebola. So all these things happened. And so they started saying, wait a minute, not only do we have terrorist threats out there that can, uh, that can really hurt us as a country, but then we also have these pandemics that will come up. So they stood up a group of people as part of the National Security Council and the Trump administration in 2018 basically disbanded that group, saying, oh, that that's that doesn't matter. That doesn't make sense. A multitude of things he's done wrong. So uh, not <laughs> I'm even, sorry. It is what it is. Uh, man. Not, not, not even trying to get into any of the political stuff. Yeah, but it is. But a, it's just one of those things that it's, it's a decision that boggles the mind. Exactly. So we have another question. From a fuel by fuel by doubt, his question is in regards to the mutation that you spoke about earlier. He says, "Can the virus mutate any further? And if uh, and if we are uh, at the beginning of the curve, do you think it will go away? And if so, how long? Uh, what is your estimate in regards to it going away?" So here's the thing: um, there are certain things that we don't know. Uh, before we got on air, we were talking about whether or not it survives below this particular thermal line or that particular line or this particular uh, um, uh, temperature. What we had been seeing up until up until about Thursday or uh, Friday, Wednesday, Thursday or Friday of this week is we had very few cases of this particular coronavirus number 19, COVID-19, uh, showing up in places south of the equator. Since then, because of the reporting around the world, we now know that there are cases now being reported in Africa and in South America. And so we don't know um, what the, uh, um, uh, we don't know if it's going to disappear because of the heat or not. We don't know if there's, there's a thing called seasonal sensitivity. So almost all flu viruses exhibit what is called seasonal sensitivity. So in the fall and the winter, you see a bloom of these viruses. And then in the spring and summer, those viruses 
they don't die. They just kind of go into a dormant phase. Sure. And then in the fall and the winter, the next time it comes back, and usually when it comes back, it comes back with a vengeance. And so the same thing happened in 1918 with the quote-unquote Spanish flu. Right. So um, we saw initially uh, people get sick in the late winter. Then in the spring, in the summer, it looked like the disease had died out. It didn't. It just went dormant. And then starting in September or October, uh, that's when um, I can't, hundreds of millions of people around the world died because of that Spanish flu. Now, I think Fuel by Dow asked a question about the uh, mutation. That, yes, think about this. Viruses are smart, as you said, Ryan, mostly. Uh, and that is... They're smart because they can exchange genetic material with other viruses. So if you take this one particular virus and you put it into a test tube and you add polio or you add the common cold, let's say we figured out a test for COVID-19. We already have a test for polio and we already have a test for the common cold, right? If you put those guys in the same test tube and you give them nutrients and feed them, yeah, you give them nutrients. You let it wait, incubate for 24 hours or 36 hours or 72 hours. Then you come back and you test for COVID-19, for polio, and for the common cold. You may come back with negative tests for all of them because they've exchanged genetic material. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's how viruses work. That's how viruses get their mutation. They exchange genetic material with other viruses. And so, yes, it is possible that this mutation that we're seeing in this particular coronavirus can and potentially will mutate into something different down the line. It doesn't mean it's going to be more lethal. It doesn't mean that it's going to be, uh, um, uh, it doesn't mean that it's going to be more infectious. It just means that it can change. It can change. So we've got another question. Okay. Um, question is, if you get the uh, COVID-19, would you get a rash on any part of your body? I don't know of anything. I don't know of anybody reporting any rash. Most of the symptoms from all the coronavirus family are going to be respiratory. So you're going to have a runny nose. You're going to run a fever. You're going to have uh, shortness of breath. breath. You're going to have like all these are, this is a, it's not a cutaneous virus. It doesn't infect your skin. It infects your lungs. That's where it loves to live. And so all of the, the symptoms that you're going to have are going to be like when you get the flu or you get a cold. And as you said earlier, it's going it, it, to, it's already evolving to the point to where it lives on the periphery of your lungs versus the internal, if you will, yeah. where so most scans about, are going to look for it. Yeah, so and so that, that's, like I said, the, the study that they just published showed that uh, if you look, that you could see nodules on the, not the external, but the outside portion of the lungs inside your body, not outside. I have another question. Uh, Fuel by Doubt wants to know, uh, before the vaccine is manufactured, he says, what natural ways uh, would you advise people in regards to, to helping themselves? He says he likes to go to the gym. Would, he, would you advise anybody to or their own family to go or stay away from the gym? No, what I, here's what I will do. I, I will recommend if the gym is part of your normal everyday activity, continue that up. 
because, you know, the healthier you are, the stronger your immune system, and therefore you'll be able to fight it out. Um, but what I will also do is caution you to say, if you're using, uh, if you're at the gym and you're using uh, equipment that's at the gym, that is also going to be commonly used by other folks, then you practice the same thing that you do when you're talking about touching other people. So before you lie down on that bench to do your bench press, you spray it down with the disinfectant, you wash it, you wipe the barbells, you, you know, so clean everything, you clean wear, wear everything wear, or wear gloves, you know, things along if, if you can, but even the gloves, you know, cause the gloves, because what, what we found in that study that I was talking to you guys about earlier, uh, they also found that um, this virus can survive on surfaces for up to 36 hours. That was actually one of my questions that I wanted to ask. So you have to, you have to sanitize everything. So when you're sanitize it, and we know through that study that it can survive up to 36 hours, is the sanit uh, is the um, solution based alcohol solution based actually getting rid of or killing the virus? So anything that, that you surface? use as a sanitizer um, should kill it. Um, you know, a, a one to ten uh, solution of Clorox will kill it. Um, Lysol, we talked about that. I, you know, I, I have no stake in the company, so um, SC Johnson should probably pay me a, a big <laughs> on this. Um, but no, I mean, anything that you're using, uh, soap and water, regular soap and water, soap denatures proteins, so or denatures DNA and RNA. So you, you could do that. But like, again, uh, just use common sense. You know, when I was a kid, my mother said common sense is not so common, not common anymore. Yeah. And we have to use common sense when it comes to things like this. Quick sidebar for those of us who are not in the medical profession. What is the definition of denature? Uh, it, it breaks down the, it breaks down either proteins or DNA or RNA. It will literally make it fall apart. It takes away the nature of what it is. Denature. Okay. So it, it, you dispelled that rumor as well about, uh, staying on surfaces for roughly 36 hours, mm -hmm. give or take. Mm -hmm. Okay. So wiping down the door handles every time, uh, every time you try to open a door using your shirt, if you have a shirt or a handkerchief mm -hmm. to open up a door, what are some com other common safe practices that are, you know, that allows us to still live our everyday life and, and go out and function um, as we normally would while dealing with this pandemic? So hand washing is the simplest and safest and most effective way to cure or prevent any disease that's infectious. Wash your hands. Wash your hands after every encounter. Wash your hands after you hug your mom or you hug your kids. Wash your hands. Encourage them to wash their hands. If you are sick, if you're exhibiting any kinds of symptoms, do not, and I repeat, do not go to the emergency room. Why? because we're going to overwhelm the health system. What most docs and what the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease and the CDCs are recommending is if you feel sick, if you feel ill, if you're experiencing any kind of respiratory or flu-like symptoms, they're encouraging you to stay home, call the doctor, tell them what's happening and see if they can call something in. I know that um, some of the pharmacies out there are literally waiving delivery fees. They will deliver your drugs to you if your doctor calls it in for you. Um, literally, uh, if you don't, uh, if you're sick or if you're feeling or exhibiting any of the symptoms, stay home. Don't go to work. Um, don't be around your family. If your family is healthy, 
and you're feeling ill, then the best thing for you to do is quarantine yourself mm-hmm. away from them, to not to make them sick. I was gonna say, get away. Yeah. Um, from a from a corporate standpoint, uh, because I've seen restaurants and businesses, everyone's saying, hey, you can't come in; it's drive through only. Um, I know that uh, I know people who work for companies, and everyone's saying, "Hey, we're going to go remote for X month until until further notice." Um, if we gave you the controls, if you would, uh, if you if you could have the controls, what would be your directive to 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 the American corporations? Because if, like you said earlier, we're we're way on the low end of, of the wrong end of the curve to where we haven't seen the worst of it yet. So, would you advise everyone to say, "Hey, if you own a company, make your people remote until further notice"? Yeah, just I would literally say, if you have the ability to work remotely, you should be able to work remotely. If you have the ability uh, to work from home and do your job, that should be something that would be recommended. If you are sick, once you become ill, and you cannot go into work and we should also have um, payments available either to you directly or to your company to compensate you for the time that you're going to have to be quarantined and not working because of this particular illness those are things those are simple things that we can do uh, in addition to this um, I, I don't know if you guys heard but um, there was another pharma company that's based out of Boston they were having a big meeting last week in Boston. And over the course of two days, the number of cases of of patients diagnosed with uh, COVID-19 went from 42 to 96. 42 to 96. Wow. And they didn't realize and they didn't understand what that meant until they actually started talking to some of the, the patients who were diagnosed and they found out, oh, these guys flew in from all over the country to have a meeting at their corporate headquarters in Boston and the number of patients spiked spiked because they were all exposed during this big national meeting, this big national conference, this big national Congress for that particular pharma company. I'm not going to tell you the name, but uh, the vast majority of the patients in Boston who had been diagnosed with the disease were diagnosed because they were exposed during a conference. Yeah. Our president and many of our Republican leaders. And so I know we have a lot of brothers and sisters out there who are conservatives, who are Republicans, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to dog anyone. So I'm not, I'm not trying to dog them. I'm just saying, but during CPAC, CPAC, the conservative political action committee meeting uh, last week, there was a guy, a person, because I don't remember exactly what the gender of the person was who had, who was a carrier who had the coronavirus who tested positive had access to the leaders of the Republican Party at the highest levels. People like President Trump, Vice President Pence, people like um, Lindsey Graham, uh, Mark Meadows. I'm going to say, isn't Ted Cruz quarantining Ted himself? Ted Cruz. He's quarantining he himself. He, I he saw the uh, the yeah. wife of the Canadian Prime Minister is quarantining himself. But she wasn't at CPAC. So I was just okay. only talking about the fact that these are large group gatherings where people were exposed to this particular pathogen and did not, did not, uh, understand uh, or did not know that this person was positive. I have a, a, a comment from uh, uh, Off God eight one seven. It says uh, he says soap and in, in, in exclamation point says he's at, at Academy right now buying soap and nine millimeter ammunition. Um, <laughs> so to to look forward, right? We are not. Well, do you foresee? I should say. I should ask the question. I shouldn't make it a statement because I'm not a medical professional. 
Um, do you foresee a scenario where we it really does turn into you know like martial law status to where people are going to you know be hoarding everything like we're doing now with toilet paper and and people are had to be in fear like like a zombie apocalypse or anything like so that. I believe because I feel like people are really panicking. So I think that the reason that people are panicking is uh, is multiple uh, uh, fold. It's because we don't know what we don't know. The reason that we don't know is because we're not testing. If I believe if more Americans were able to see that, let's say we, you know, we test a hundred thousand people, 80,000 of them are going to be fine. And so if we saw more people like that recover from this, that would be amazing. Right. And then people would literally be able to uh, feel better right now because we're not testing we don't know and so everybody is panicking and then when you hear the word pandemic boy that boy, scary that, word boy that puts you into a whole different mindset mm-hmm. you know it makes you think about the movie outbreak and, it does. and, and other stuff and, and ultimately we have to kind of we have to pump the brakes on this a little bit and, and let's talk about the word pandemic pandemic has nothing to do with the lethality of the agent or pathogen that you are looking at. Say that again one more time. Yes, please repeat that. Pandemic has nothing to do with the lethality of the agent that you're looking at. It only has to do with the spread of the agent or the pathogen. So an epidemic is something that is confined to one country, basically, or one geographic area like North America. A pandemic is something that occurs on every continent or all the continents or the majority of the continents around the, globe. the world. It has nothing to do with whether or not this is going to be something that's a killer. This is not the zombie virus. So let's not make that be a thing. What I would encourage people to do is again, use common sense. You know, sure. I get it. You're, you're trying to figure out a way to make sense of all of this. I get that, but we have to be able to uh, use our common sense and think about it. And so, yes, going to the store to buy soap, that's amazing. I want you to do that. Nine millimeter ammunition. Well, you know, if you have a gun, if that's what you want to do, are you going to go to target practice? We'll do that. But, <laughs> but I mean, you don't have to buy that right now. I mean, uh, there are reports when I, because I, I was in Houston earlier this week and last week I was in Princeton, New Jersey, and I saw a news report where some of the medical supply companies had to hire armed guards to keep people from breaking into their their facilities, their stock, their stock, their stock yeah. houses. Wow. And, and, and it's like, it's because we're not, we're not getting the leadership that we need from on high, from uh, our, our political leaders um, in Washington, D.C., and even our locally uh, elected officials. Some of the governors and some of the mayors are doing a good job. Um, but mostly what we should be getting are these reassuring words. Hey, listen, we're, we don't know exactly what's happening, but we're on top of this and we're going to get to the bottom of it. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's the things that we need to be saying to people. There are going to be more people who will get infected with this disease. Or that we will discover weeks. are infected already. Yes. There you go. You hear that fuel by doubt? So we're on the front end of it. So we we have not seen the worst. As as, as Doc just coming. said, it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, his, his other part of his question is... Um, how long do you think we just should, should shut down things for here in America? Basically, is what he's asking. I, I'm not saying that we should shut anything down. Really? What I'm saying is we have to use our common sense 
to think about, okay, if we know that if we are in a, a crowd of people, that increases my chances of being exposed to this particular pathogen. I will relate this to my own personal experience. I don't go to clubs ever. Why? I don't go to nightclubs. I don't like to go out because that exposes, that, that increases my chance of being exposed to violence that I don't want to see, that I want to be a part of, right? Sure. So I can choose to not do that, right? If there are things that we have to do, like we have to go grocery shopping, we have to put gas in the car. Some of us who are healthcare professionals have to go to work at the hospital. So we can't shut down the hospitals. But what we can do is make sure that the average American, regardless of color, regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of gender or um, whoever you sleep with, it doesn't matter. Because this virus, it doesn't matter if you're a conservative or if you're progressive. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if you are gay or straight. This virus is going to uh, affect all of us. And so what I'm saying is we have to be able to take and use our common sense and think about where we want to go. Do we want to be in a crowd? You know, Is it so important for me to go to March Madness? That's when I knew it was serious. When they said the NBA season has been suspended, and when they said March Madness went from we're going to play games without fans in the arenas to we're just not having it, that's why I told my wife, I said, it's serious at this point because people who are getting those gigantic checks have said we're not doing it. That's when I was like, okay, this is the real deal. But the thing is, it wasn't. I don't think that they canceled it just because they thought this is such an infectious thing. It's going to, it's going to hurt us. I think it was also a monetary. Oh, of course. Because if you can be held liable for it. Yeah. If you go to an arena, let's say we go down here to the old, uh, was it old reunion arena when it used to be a reunion. Now it's not. It's American Airlines but on the South side of downtown, go down to old, uh, reunion and you get an infectious disease. There are always going to be enterprising lawyers. And again, I'm not going to disparage lawyers because I'm not saying that. But there are always going to be people out there who could say, well, you know what? We could hold this company or this organization liable for your exposure. So I think, again, we have to start thinking about and trying to be smart about how and where we expose ourselves and when we expose ourselves. I think we've got one more segment. Do you got one more in your cup? Oh, I can go Okay. Because I've got more que- I've got more questions. Uh, it's important. Yeah, we got more questions for sure. Um, we'll take a break. We'll be right back with the doc here um, on this first ever live broadcast of the Vision Lab podcast. We'll be right back, everybody. Okay. All right. Welcome back to the Vision Lab podcast. Um, again, special episode here. I want to give a major, major shout out to Doc. Thank you very much for. Um, carving out time and, and jumping into the lab and, and talking about COVID-19, the coronavirus, um, dispelling a lot of rumors. Uh, we're in the pandemic and, it, and it's certainly real, but there's a lot of ways that we can um, safeguard ourselves. And you've mentioned a number of those things throughout the, this episode. I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Dallas Leaf, smoking on an 1841 DL. So I appreciate the stick from Ron and the crew. I want to give a shout out to the doc for suggesting this uh, this this Connecticut Grand Habano. Uh, shout out to whoever, whatever brand is responsible for this stick. <laughs> and we want to say thank you to uh, Mickey and Buddha, the staff here at Lone Star, 
uh, here in Plano off 14th Street. Thank you very much for allowing us to kind of do this impromptu. 1114th Street. 1114th Street. Thank you guys very, very much. Y'all make sure y'all uh, show some support over here. It's, uh, it's a pretty cool little cigar spot, man. They have uh, uh, 945 facings. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful really, humidor. Beautiful humidor. Beautiful. For sure, for sure. Um, Doc, what was the first stick that uh, that you gave us? That was a, a little bitty um, tatouage. It's a, a new one that was just uh, brought out. It's a, It's got the black label band on it. It tastes like the old tat blacks used to taste. I don't exactly remember what the, it's called the BC and it stands for something. I just don't remember what it was. It's a really good uh, flavorful stick. Very um, complex. Complex is a great word. Uh, Diva of the Leaf, holler at us if you got any questions. We've got the doc in the building answering questions about uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19. So I think, Mo, we've got another question from uh, from IG Live. Yeah, uh, so Fuel by Doubt was talking just on the political side of it. Again, for those of you just jumping on, we're not a political show. We're just talking about everything that's going on related to, to the coronavirus or, or COVID-19, if you will. Um, he was saying in regards to the politics, uh, you know, I think he's really, what he's trying to say is you can't put the blame on anybody, quote unquote, because other politicians have done things that have killed people, both Democrat and Republican. And I think maybe you missed the first part of it, feel by doubt. If not, it's okay. I think what we're saying is whatever your political party might be, just given what's going on right now, the people who are in power now have dropped the ball. Is that what you're really saying, Doc? Literally, that's the case. And and uh, when you, uh, if you are in charge and there is a group of people that are part of your national security council, whose job it was is to monitor worldwide health problems, potential pandemics. And in 2018, two years ago, you literally get rid of that entire group, not just a head, but everybody on the national security council who was, whose job it was to monitor and look for things like this, because you said, well, I don't think this is going to happen for, for me. So you get rid of them. So then this is not a political statement. This is a statement about incompetence, <laughs> period. And, you know, and I'm not, again, I'm not making any judgments about anybody else's choice. If you love Donald Trump, you love Donald Trump. But at the end of the day, if he does something wrong, you have to always be able and be willing to admit. Yeah, right is right, is right and wrong is wrong. There you go. And so at the end of the day, this is about, what was right and what was wrong. And they got rid of the people whose job it was to monitor for things like this. And if he had kept those people in place, maybe again, and this is, this is all hypothetical because they're not in place, but maybe they would have been able to say to him, Hey, sir, this is something that we should be looking at. And they would have been able to say that to him in November. And if they had said this in November or December, we would then be in the middle of the curve instead of at the beginning of the curve right now in March. So I've got a couple of questions I wanted to ask you. Um, and I know we, we talked about this pretty loosely. This is for new, new, new people jumping on, new by people the way. People that are jumping on to our IG Live. And then again, that's at the Vision Lab podcast if you're not already following us um, live. Or excuse me, I shouldn't say live, but uh, every single Tuesday we drop an episode at 1130. This obviously is a special edition given the uh, circumstances that we're dealing with in the pandemic. And this episode will be la- be, av- be available later on today, by the way, Absolutely. for those of you who missed the very beginning of it. In a world That's where right. there was a virus <laughs> that took over. My man. Um, I, wanted, I want you, for anyone that was listening um, to the podcast, and I want to clarify things uh, in terms of when, if they are infected with the virus, 
um, self quarantining is what you recommended. Don't Absolutely. go to yeah. Don't go to hospital. work. Don't go to school. Don't go to the emergency room because all you're going to do is go there because the testing is not fully available yet. So you won't even be able to get the test yet. So what the recommendations are is for you to call your primary care physician or call your urgent care center or call your emergency room, tell them what your symptoms are, and then see if they can, uh, by phone, uh, telephonically, either call something in for you that will treat some of the symptoms. But right now, uh, we don't have, our healthcare infrastructure is... Um, We're not set up for we, it. We, we, and literally, that's that's exactly what Dr. Tony Fauci just said to Congress two days ago. Our healthcare system right now is not set up for what they're asking them to do. If, if, if this disease, if it follows the same pattern that typical uh, virus and, and, and flu patterns are, you will see a sharp rise, you have a spike in the number of cases, and then a sharp decline. What we're trying to do and what the, the CDC is trying to do and the NIH is trying to do and public health uh, uh, providers are trying to do is bend that curve. Says we're trying to avoid that the top of that curve. Because if we get this spike, right, that we are anticipating, and, and, and I've seen the numbers from, I've seen the estimates both from uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation, I've seen the numbers from the NIH, I've seen other numbers, and they're saying that anywhere between 70 million and 150 million Americans are going to be infected with the coronavirus. Yeah, that's a scary. I'm sorry. Say scary say that. say that number one more time, please. Between seventy and 150 million Americans are are mathematically modeled to potentially be infected with the coronavirus. But but that doesn't mean that everybody's going to get sick. Exactly. So I want you guys to understand this. So the numbers are what they are. Everybody uh, has the potential to be infected, but even if you get infected, it doesn't mean that you're going to die or that you're going to be sick or you're going to have to end up being hospitalized. If this follows the same pattern that normal flu patterns are, if you get a big spike, they're thinking that we're going to need about 200,000 ICU beds in the U.S. to treat the patients who are the most severely ill because of this COVID-19. Right? We're nowhere near ready for that. Well, we only have 100,000 total ICU beds in the country, and most of them are already occupied. Could this get to a point to where it's like field triage and, and you know, people really have completely locked down their homes, like no one's on the road, like it it, it turns Americans like a miniature, miniature wasteland for a hot second? Can, so here, can we get to that point? So here's the thing. I, again, let's, let's not do that. Let, let, let's, let's dial this back a notch. The vast majority of people who will be infected with the COVID-19, the coronavirus number 2019, uh, the vast majority of them are going to be asymptomatic. They will not require any treatment. Their body is going to be able to fight it off. What we're trying to do is decrease the panic. And so, no, I don't think that we're ever going to get into a wasteland. You think about this in China. They shut down a whole province in China. But they could do that because they're a communist country. And in that province, they have 10 cities, 10 cities with populations larger than New York City. And New York City is our largest city in the U.S. Mm. Imagine, could you imagine how that would happen here? How, who, who's, gonna, who's going to enforce that? No one. Nobody. And so at the end of the day, we have to think about this smartly. We have to approach this from a, a smart and a, a respectful way. If we know that the vast majority of people who will be infected are not going to be symptomatic, 
we can start talking about, okay, here you go. So now, like uh, in South Korea, they're doing 10,000 tests a day. Here in the U.S., we've only done 18,000 roughly. And, maybe we've, a little bit and more. we've been on, on Total. It for like, what, a, a, maybe a since, week, week and a half? Since December. Ugh. We've only tested 18,000. And you spoke to the, us about that offline earlier. That was going to be my second part of the question is how important, obviously we've talked about the level of importance for testing, mm. but can you speak to um, the fact that the numbers that we're getting are not necessarily accurate? Yes. So we, because we are not testing, we don't know what the scope and the scale of the problem is. And I don't mean from the standpoint of how infectious this is. We know how infectious this agent is. We just don't know how many people have it or how many people are going to get sick. So if we do, like, if we implement what's called the, the, the South Korean model, they do drive-through testing. In New York, they just, this yesterday, they just opened up uh, drive-through testing in New York. Basically, you drive up, you drive into a tent, medical professionals swab you, and then they send it off for testing and you find out in one or two days if you are positive. Cool. They did that in New Rochelle where they had the where they put the quarantine in. You can't quarantine the entire United States. Right. Now people lose their minds. You cannot. And, and no so, and first of all, nobody would actually we as Americans, we're we're gonna rebel anyway. So we've got a question from Diva of the Leaf sure. that says in, in response to what we're talking about, um, you know, your drive through testing. Um, what about those who have been already tested? And healed. Okay. Uh, what's your question? So I guess what she's trying to say is the, the ability for it to come back and infect you again. So um, one of the things that, again, we don't know what we don't know. And because we are not testing, we don't know if having the disease confers any type of, of immunity moving forward. Uh, one would assume that it does because that's kind of how your body works. You get challenged with the pathogen, your, your immune system then creates, you know, all these um, B cells and plasma cells that create these antibodies that will attack that particular uh, uh, pathogen. Uh, once the pathogen is gone, your body creates these memory cells that literally remember what that cell looks like or what that pathogen looks like. And then what will happen is if it's reintroduced, your body says, hey, I've seen that before. And instead of having to come up with a brand new it's like, hey, call that guy out of reserve because he, he's done this before. And mm. it comes up. You create more plasma cells. You create more antibodies. You kill it off again. So we don't know. Um, and that's part of the problem. The reason that we are behind the curve is because that's why testing is so important. And that's why you hear so many people um, in the political realm and in the public health realm saying we need to have more tests because we can then look at the people. We can monitor them. We can we can literally take our time, watch them, treat them, and then when they get better, if there's another infection that comes, if they get this again, we can see how their body responds. But if we're not testing them, we don't know. Now, earlier you said if you are sick or are infected mm -hmm. with the virus, stay at home. Mm -hmm. Now you're also saying get tested. Yeah. So can you make the differentiation between the two? So here's the thing. Especially... When we talked about so, you don't right. want to be around a large number of people, mm -hmm. right? So if there's a large number of people that are getting tested, 
how do you avoid being in, in front of a large group? See, setting? this is so this becomes um, this becomes the central conundrum, right? Yeah. We want you to stay away from everybody, but we also need you to get tested. Right. We don't want you to go into the emergency room because the emergency rooms don't have the tests. And so this <laughs> becomes a public health issue. This becomes a government issue. And that's why leadership is so important. We have to be able to roll the test out. We have to be able to have these large academic medical centers like the Baylor, uh, Baylor Scott and White's. They are not. So Baylor uh, uh, Hospital in Houston is an academic medical center. Baylor Scott and White here is a health system. They can roll out their own tests. They have labs and they have pathologists and laboratory medicine guys who are amazingly smart, amazingly capable, who could do this in their sleep. Mm. We just need to be able to let the FDA say, let's waive this rule because we have this pandemic and let's work this out. That just happened yesterday. So what I what I assume is going to happen is they're going to roll out some of the uh, intellectual property, the IP stuff, to some of these private labs that allows people to go get tested. Or here's what I would also suggest. We have home health nurses. We have patient care specialists. Telemedicine. Who, we have telemedicine. We have the ability to have people go in. The other thing that we also need to do is figure out a way to make this test scalable down to home testing kits. I was going to say, at some point, you got to get to where, if, I mean, we if, if we're talking about mass production. We test our blood sugar. Why couldn't we be able to uh, take a swab and say, hey, stick this in both of your nose. So stick this one in one in one side of your uh, nostril. Just stick this other side in the other side. Uh, put them in this test tube. Send it out to this particular lab. Let's take a look at it and see if it comes back positive. How long can the virus stay dormant in your body before you know that you actually are infected with the virus? So the incubation period, they say, is anywhere from two to 14 days. So we're, we're talking about up to two weeks. That's a large window. Up to two weeks. That literally you can be infected on Monday and you may not show any signs or symptoms until two Mondays. Two, two Mondays. Mondays. From now. Mm-hmm. <sighs> then you figure out that you have it. Or you start to show well, you, symptoms. you got symptoms, so it could be another. So two then, weeks. so then, let's say you show symptoms, and you get tested on that day, you may still even be negative on that test on that day that you're showing symptoms because um, what happens is you have to have a certain uh, viral load. You have to have a certain number of copies of the virus floating in your uh, body you, in order for you to for it to actually register on the test. Yes. And then at that point, and that's a limitation for all laboratory tests. That's not, that's not a negative thing. That's just the, the reality. And then at that point, you got to rewind the clock about everybody you came in contact with and over so those past two and weeks. And that's why it's so important to do the testing because if we know, but even then the tests are going to be outdated because no, no, it's not about, had a, a month of, of the virus. But, but it doesn't matter because it matters for us to know if you are, contaminated if you are sick we need to know everybody that you've been around so then we can start to track the disease back but you're tracking two weeks of you know life and and walking around i know and that's what we need to do that's how we fight this thing we find out who you've been in contact with because not everybody that you've been in contact with are going to contract the disease sure so then we start asking the question well why did this person get it but this one didn't then that way we can actually start to answer some of these questions about the disease characteristics itself. That's why all of this is important. So it isn't that it's a waste of time because it's not, you know, any data that we can get that allows us to characterize this disease better is something that is a good thing. That's a, this has been a lot of information. I think this has been very informative. Sure. I think, uh, 
you know, obviously we're not medical professionals. And so it's just, in the closest. you know, it's always a small world. You know, for those of you just, just tuning in, we, we met doc the other night at a recording. Uh, you know, he took an interest in us and we had the questions about the, the coronavirus and he said he'd be willing to talk with us about it. Yeah. And so we appreciate your time, sir. Um, for those of you who are just catching the back end of this, we're going to make this entire episode uh, available very, very shortly. Um, again, thank you to all of our sponsors. The link. Oh, we'll make sure you get the links. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he's talking about for the, is it the CDC link? The CDC link. Oh, so, okay. tell us about it, please. So there's a, a link, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, the very best exactly. public health group in the entire world is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So people forget that last part. Prevention. prevention. These guys are amazing professionals. They are amazingly smart. They do a lot of good stuff. And they. Uh, I sent a link to Ryan. Uh, and I think you guys are going to post it too. Yeah, we'll post that live. Um, or we'll post it after the live is over with. So Absolutely. That you, if you have any questions, like you click on this link and it'll give you just you'll be taken to a page and it'll show you a map of the U.S. and all the states. And here in Texas, uh, they say we have anywhere from 21 to 50 patients in Texas who've been diagnosed with uh, uh, the COVID-19 virus. And it shows that for every state. At the end of the day, I, again, I'm one of those people like uh, my man um, uh, who was asking all the questions. Oh, fueled by doubt. Fueled by doubt. I'm always fueled by doubt. And so, therefore, I always want to make sure. Don't just listen to me. Don't just listen to my words. Do your research. Follow up and do your research and go to reputable sites and start looking at this stuff. They have recommendations for, you know, how you can keep yourself safe. And I would encourage all of you guys uh, listening to this program to click on that link once these guys make it available Look at it, read it. You will find all the information that I was just talking with you guys about. You'll find uh, videos from uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the NIH guy. You will be able to make your own rational decisions, and that's the the most important thing. And I think a lot of things that that after you know this conversation that we can pull from this. One of the main points that you want to make here is that listen, it's a pandemic, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean you have to panic. Yes. Right. Pandemic has nothing to do with the lethality of the disease. So in most cases, because we, we grew up in this era where we, we see movies about outbreak and we see all this stuff and it's going to everybody's coming to die. That's why it's a pandemic. No, pandemic means about the geographic spread of a particular pathogen. That's all. It isn't anything to do. It has no connotation whatsoever to do with how lethal it is. Okay. I think that's it, Co. And this has been an absolute treat. Doc, we appreciate your time. 100%. Thank 100%. you guys for having me. Absolutely. Now, listen, we're going to stay live here on uh, Instagram. Uh, Mo's got his uh, IG live going. So if we have any other questions that come in, make sure you guys, uh, you know, ask in. So we'll, we'll be live here for however long y'all want to go. We're just going to sit and hang out. Again, I'm smoking an 1841 DL from Dallas Leaf LLC. Mo. You remember what you had? Grand Habano. A, a Grand Habano. Connecticut. The Connecticut. Lovely, too, by the way. I love my Connecticut's. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, this has been good. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, this episode will be available shortly, everybody. Yeah. We'll get it published here in the next uh, 15, 20 minutes. So uh, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Vision Lab Podcast. Again, we'll have a new episode coming out this Tuesday at 1130 a.m. Central Standard Time. You'll always be able to catch us uh, on Instagram 
make sure if you're not already following us uh, on IG, make sure you guys do that. So if you guys want to hear us do more of these lives, I think this is fun. I think we should uh, we should start doing this. We'll definitely do it again. And for those of you listening as well, make sure you mark your calendar for Saturday, June 20th, yes. the Vision Lab Podcast Golf Classic. Um, Irvin Golf Club, 8.30 a.m. shotgun start. We've got so barbecue and food and everything taken care of already. So you guys going to do it just after Juneteenth? Just after June, Father's Day, Saturday. You know, it's it's hilarious because uh, in Mississippi we never we never celebrated Juneteenth. I would understand why because it's not for y'all. <laughs> exactly yeah. at that point because we, we knew about it before. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Dr. D. Thank you everybody you for listening. This has been another great episode of the Vision Lab podcast. We'll see y'all soon. Peace, blessing.